Welcome back to the Yellow Box Podcast. This week, we're joined by community pastor Ian Simpkins as we continue our series, Turn the Page. For more information, please visit us at www.communitychristian.org. And remember, you can always find us on Sundays at the Yellow Box at 9.30 a.m., 11.15 a.m., and 5 p.m. And now also on Monday nights at 6.30 p.m. We hope to see you there. Well, good morning, community. How are you feeling this morning? It is good to be with you. A special welcome if you're joining us digitally. Uh, We are in the middle of a 654-week series called Turn the Page, and uh, made it to the halfway point. Well done. Um, But I really, really love this series, and we've already seen a couple of things these last few weeks, and the first is that we were created for intimate relationship with our Creator, that God designed the world that way, uh, but we fractured that. We fractured that wholeness that we call shalom, and uh, we see that God does not give up on his people. In fact, uh, he seeks to restore his dream for the world by uh, issuing a covenant with a man named Abraham. And he says to Abraham, I'm going to bless you, but not just to bless you. You will be a blessing to the world. You are a blessed man to be a blessing. And so these people of God become known as the Israelites, set apart specifically to be a blessing to the world. But as we turn the page to 1 Samuel, we see that the Israelites didn't always want to be set apart. It wasn't always ideal to be different than the surrounding nations. In fact, in one important way, they began to see all the other surrounding nations had an earthly human king. So they begin to desire a king the way that these other nations do. They want to be more like those nations. And so they, they go to the prophet Samuel and they begin to demand a king. Give us a king. Make us more like all these other nations. And Samuel isn't happy, but God is downright grieved. God says here in verse 7, he says, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It's not you that they've rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. God is saying, I wanted to be their king, and yet they're, they're demanding an earthly king to look like everyone else. And so Samuel goes back to the people. He tells them that their request is foolish. So the people persist. They continue to push back. And eventually God concedes. Listen to what he says in verse 22. The Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. So so this prophet, this man that's entrusted to be kind of the mouthpiece for God says, this, this isn't going to go the way that you want it to. This isn't what you really want. And they continue, they persist. They say, give us a king. They turn their back on God. And like a loving parent, parents, sometimes you know that consequences are really, really helpful teachers. So the Israelites turn their back on God. They demand a king. And so God tells Samuel, fine, anoint a king. As we turn the page to chapter 9, we meet this new king. Now, this king is like everything you'd want in a Hollywood king. Like, he's tall, he's dark, he's handsome. In fact, um, we found an actual photograph of King Saul, and uh, he looks a little bit like this. (laughs) I mean, right? If you don't like George Clooney, you're wrong. Like, he's just, look at how kingly he is. You can see it in his eyes. He's got kind eyes. Okay, so obviously that's not really King Saul. But he, he meets all the stereotypes, though. He checks all the boxes. He's tall, he's dark, he's handsome. He's the guy that you want on the coinage. He's the guy that you want on the campaign poster. But 
We'll learn later, though, that just because someone looks good on a campaign poster or an album cover does not necessarily mean that they make a good king. They can check all the boxes externally, but it doesn't mean that they'll make a great leader. And it got me thinking, it's easy to make assumptions about other people based on their appearance, isn't it? And I'm not even just talking physical appearance at this point, because so many of us spend so much of our time on social media of some kind, that that becomes more of our appearance than who we actually are. It's easy to make assumptions about people simply based on externals, isn't it? Like, I'll be really honest, uh, I do this way more than I care to admit, and I'm not proud of that. In fact, it, it grieves my heart to realize how quickly I can jump to conclusions and assumptions about people that I don't even know. I think all of us, to some degree, we, we face that same temptation, that same tension. So I, I wanted to conduct a little bit of an experiment here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you a series of photos, and I want you to think about the assumptions that kind of come to mind when you see this photo. Doesn't that sound fun? Just pay attention to like where your mind goes or the, the first response that you have to this photo. Okay, so here's image number one. Uh, what do you think? What are you feeling? Okay, so this guy definitely listens to death metal for sure, right? Like that's... Pay attention to the things, the conclusions that you're drawing based on this photo. How, how, about, how about this photo here? What feelings? What emotions? Toward the kid or toward the mom? She's like, where's the Benadryl aisle, right? Like, I just, this, this kid won't stop screaming. But how, how about the, the kinds of people that wear, like, fedoras and cardigans, right? Like this, like this guy. Who, what does that make you feel? Anger, I'm assuming, right? Disdain. Who's jealous? Best friends, me and you. Best friends. How about a photo like this, though? What feelings come to mind when you see this photo, when you see this scene unfold? Do you know who that is, by the way? That's a photo of Richard Gere. That's right, Richard Gere of Pretty Woman fame, currently worth $120 million dollars. It's so easy to make assumptions, to make judgments about people simply based on what we see in their externals. Hollywood King Saul fit the part. He checked all the boxes, but soon we'll see that he fails, and he fails big. He's told to wait for the prophet Samuel to make this particular sacrifice, and when Samuel is late, Saul takes matters into his own hands. He makes the sacrifice himself, and when Samuel confronts him about it, He's unrepentant. There's no remorse, no apology. So God begins to seek after a new king, a man after God's own heart. But where will he find such a king? Well, God sends the prophet Samuel on a secret mission to a town called Bethlehem. He sends him to a man named Jesse, and he says, there you will find the new king. So imagine, imagine Jesse's excitement. One of your sons is going to be king, right? Like, you get the house in order for that kind of order. So Samuel shows up, and, uh, and so Jesse first, of course, uh, shows him his eldest, most attractive son, Eliab. In fact, we have a photo of him as well. Here's Eliab. Um, that's true. Wow, I do feel better, Ryan. Thank you. That helped a lot. Um, okay, again, obviously not Eliab, but he, he, he's, in a lot of ways, like Saul, He's tall like Saul, he's dark like Saul, he's handsome like Saul. And Samuel here almost falls into the same trap. He's thinking, this is it. 
Of course this is it, God. Of course this is the one that you have appointed as the next king. But God says, no. He says, watch. Be careful. You're looking at outward appearances, but God looks somewhere else. Verse 7, this is how he says, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't look at things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the, what's the word? Heart. You're, you're, you're falling into the same trap, Samuel. You're looking at all the external boxes he checks, but I don't look at those boxes. I look at his heart. And for the, for the ancient Jewish audience, heart wasn't just like the thing in your chest that pumps blood. The heart was the very center of who you were. Like the very source of like identity and essence. Someone's heart was who that person actually was. And God says, that's what I look at. When you're all distracted by how like tall and dreamy he is, how great he was in the notebook. That's, that's not what he looks at. God says, I look at the heart. So Jesse says, okay, and begins to parade all of his sons in front of him. And each time God says, no. No, no. So eventually after Jesse's shown him all of his sons, Samuel says, do you have any other sons? Now I imagine Jesse must have been thinking, I mean, I just showed you like 10. How many more do you want, right? That's not what he says. He says, yeah, uh, there's one more, but he's just like, he's just off in the field, like tending the sheep. And Samuel says, go get him. Go, go get this boy who's tending sheep in the field. And so they bring him in, and he doesn't meet any of the qualifications. He's too young. He's too short. His experience is like manual labor working with sheep. And his own dad doesn't see him as a viable option. Like, enter into the emotionality of what that must have felt like. His own dad. He knows this prophet is coming to anoint a king. Doesn't even bother calling in his youngest son. He doesn't even bother. Everyone overlooked him. Everyone avoided him as an option. And what happens? God tells Samuel, that's the one. Anoint him. This is how the scene unfolds in verse 13. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. And anointing with oil was like, it was like the inaugural act of appointing a new priest or a new king. It was a, a beautiful and sacred setting apart. And I want you to imagine what that must have been like for David. Like you're probably maybe even seeing at a distance all of your brothers paraded before this prophet. And you're watching sheep chew grass. And then all of a sudden you're sent for, hey, the prophet wants to see you. The prophet wants to talk to you. And he's anointed and he's set aside as a new king. Now, I, th- I think we experience that a little bit in modern culture, too. I think there are a lot of people that we see as sort of like juggernauts of the faith. And it's easy for us to miss that if, if they were not, these, these are people that would be really easy for us to overlook. I think the first person that comes to mind for me is Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa, whether you've been to church or not, you probably know her name. In fact, I, I spent some time at her gravesite in Calcutta. And it it was a deeply moving experience. But when you hear people talk about her, like it's so nonchalant. 
The way that she loved people, the way that she impacted the world, if you did not know who she was and she wasn't dressed like this, you would have likely never noticed. Or how about this guy? One of my favorite authors is a guy named Henry Nouwen. Henry Nouwen is uh, uh, just, a, just a brilliant Catholic priest and wrote a lot of books, many of which had huge impact on my life. But spent the bulk of his time, his ministry life, caring for the most severely disabled people he could find. Henry Nouwen, first blush, right? Maybe not all that impressive to look at, but God used him to impact thousands upon thousands of people. How about, how about our very own Sister Jean? You guys remember Sister Jean? Yeah, right? Sister Jean, again, if you didn't know her story, didn't know who she was, you may be inclined to overlook her, to avoid her, but she captured the hearts of thousands of people, made an impact far beyond what anyone ever thought she actually would. My, my point is, our world is filled with people that if we only look with physical eyes, we'd be inclined to overlook. We'd be inclined to avoid to not notice. And God says, I mean, you're so caught up looking at these externals. But I look, I look at the heart. What, what would our world look like if we began to see people the way that God sees them? I mean, honestly, that, that's a lot of what this community freedom initiative is all about that John was talking about. In fact, I, I, I think prisoners are some of the most overlooked, most avoided in our culture and in fact, and if you're watching this digitally right now, I want you to know that we see you. We see you, we love you, we are praying for you, and we're here for you when you get out. That, that's a promise. We, we see what God is doing in and through them, and that's, I think, easy for us to miss in sort of how fast-paced our culture and world tends to move. Who are the overlooked people in your life? So I want to issue, in light of this, a, a two-part challenge. The first is this. To see others as God sees them. To see others as God sees them. And how is that? How does God see others? First, he sees himself. He sees himself. At the very beginning of the story, remember Genesis 1, that we are made in the image and likeness of God, the imago Dei. That means that every single person you've ever met, that you've ever encountered, bears the image and the dignity and the sacred, holy power of God within them. That, that is what it means to be an image bearer. That means that coworker that stomps on your last nerve is an image bearer. The person in the yellow vest that slapped that parking ticket on your windshield, image bearer. That person in your life that you won't even refer to by name anymore, they're just your ex, image bearer. Image bearer. Every person you've ever met or will ever meet, every barista, every cashier, every waiter or waitress, image bearer. And in light of that, that means things like racism and bigotry. They're not just toxic. They're not just a bad idea. It's sin. It's blasphemy. And we need to begin to start talking about it as such. These things are an affront to the fact that God sees himself in all of us. We have to do the hard work of seeing the, the Imago Dei before we see orientation or race or class or wealth or ability, whatever thing we're inclined to categorize people as. We need to first see the sacred image of God in that person, always, everywhere, no matter where you're at. That's what it means to be a Jesus person, to see this sacred identity in everyone. Not only does God see himself, he also sees their heart. 
He sees their heart. I think God's words to Samuel are his words to us. The Lord doesn't see things the way that you see them. Period. And that's a good, good word. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. He's saying, I don't, I don't see the world. I don't see people the way that we're inclined to see them. A while back, Forbes magazine ran an article entitled, You Are Judged by Your Appearance. And here's what they found. Tall people get paid more. Workers who work out got paid more. Women who wear makeup make more. And handsome people are paid handsomely. So I have to ask, who, who are you judging right now by their outward appearance? The physical appearance, their digital appearance, whatever it is. Who, who are you inclined to judge, to categorize, to avoid, to overlook based on their appearance? And what would it look like for us to begin to see people the way that God does? Amidst all the things that drive us crazy, all the things that cause us to shrink back or avoid, what would it look like to say, God, help me to see with your eyes. Help me to see their heart. Lastly, God sees their potential. Not only does he see himself, not only does he see their heart, he also sees what they're becoming. He sees the work that he's doing in their life. There's an author that kind of changed my life named Brendan Manning, who is a recovering alcoholic, and he put it brilliantly. He said, to affirm a person is to see the good in them that they cannot see in themselves and to repeat it in spite of appearances to the contrary. How would that change our world if we began to live a little more like that? When we began to speak life and hope and truth and say, hey man, you're hitting a bumpy season right now. This may be a hurdle that you're having a hard time overcoming, but I see the work that God is doing in and through you. In fact, we'll often say that the four most important letters in the alphabet are I see in you. I see in you. What, what would it look like for us to look each other in the eye and say, man, I see you and I see what God is doing in and through you. Personally, my life was changed because of that conversation. A pastor talking to a punk 16-year-old saying, I see something in you. I see something that God is doing in and through you. I don't know where my life would be without that conversation. What if we made it a regular habit to have these I see in you conversations? Speaking life and hope and healing and truth to one another. Could the world use a little more of that these days? For us to be the ones that initiate those conversations. To say, hey, despite all the other garbage, despite all the temptation to judge you based on this external, and I see your heart. And I see what God is doing in and through you. Paul reminds us in Ephesians 2, he says this, we are God's masterpiece. Your translation may read workmanship. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. That, that word masterpiece, that word workmanship, is the word poema which is where we get our word for poem. What would change in our lives if we saw ourselves and everyone else we ever encountered as God's poem, as God's song, a God who loves us far more than we could ever possibly dream or imagine, not just the exteriors that we so easily judge people by. Years ago, I I decided that I, I wanted to experience homelessness myself, so I spent a week on the streets in Philadelphia, and I, I wanted to choose a city where I didn't know anybody so that I couldn't bail when it got hard, and uh, I immediately regretted that decision. <laughs> I showed up, and um, my plan was to only 
use any of the money that I could panhandle singing, you know, on the street corner. And uh, I forgot that you, that requires one important component. You need, um, oh, talent. And I don't have any. And so after a couple of days of singing on the street corner, I've made like 37 cents and I start to panic a little bit. I don't have any friends there. I don't have any connections and I haven't eaten in a while. I'm starting to get really shaky and I'm starting to get really worried. And I finally, I found a guy and I said, do you know where there's food around here at all? And he kind of gave me this weird look, and then he ran, and then he came back with a sheet of paper, and it listed out all the rescue missions, all the soup kitchens that provided meals when and where, and it like brought me to tears, because I was already so panicked, I was so worried, and I think he could see the gratitude on my face, and I said, thank you, man, thank you so much, and then he said these words to me, he said, oh man, it ain't a black thing or a white thing, it's a belly thing, and we're all hungry. It ain't a black thing or a white thing. It's a belly thing, and we're all hungry. I think in a similar way, we're, we're all hungry for that safety of identity, of love, of truth, of forgiveness, of family, of community. Every single one of us, wealthy or poor, old or young, whatever, whatever story brought you in here this morning, we, we all hunger for those things. And he's saying, man, it's, it's a belly thing. We, we all have that. What if we began to be sources of life and hope and love to everyone that we encountered? But it's not just about seeing others the way that God sees them. The second challenge is to see yourself as God sees you. See yourself as God sees you. And how does God see you? God sees himself in you. I know how easy it is for us to go to these externals. Like, okay, I got to go start loving people better. My, my guess is that in a room this size, there are a lot of people that need to hear today that you are loved. That you are made in the image and likeness of a God who loves you so much he'd rather die than live without you. Right here, wherever you're at, son, daughter, son, daughter, son, daughter, son, daughter. That, that's how God sees you. He sees himself in you. Maybe, maybe today you're struggling to believe that. But you cannot be made valuable because you already are valuable. You cannot be made valuable by doing these things or accomplish these things. You, you have unsurpassable worth because you've been bought with an unsurpassable price, period. That's where your worth and identity comes from. It isn't that you earn your value, that you earn your identity, that God has given it to us freely in Christ Jesus. And maybe today you feel overlooked. You feel avoided. Remember David's story while he's tending sheep. Seeing his brothers paraded, God says, go get them. Go, go get that one. And the reminder for every single one of us in this room is that if you hear my voice, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. All of us. Fearfully and wonderfully made. Not only does God see himself, he also sees your heart. God sees your heart. But what if, what if we spent even half as much time working on our heart as we do our Saul-like appearances? What if we spent half as much time curating our social media feeds and making sure our fashion is just right as we do working on our heart? God, would you do a work in my heart, in my character? Would you expose the pieces that aren't life-bringing? They, they're, they're not honoring to you. God, would you do a work in my life? What if we spent even half as much time working on our heart, the thing that God is after, then all of these externals were so tempted to pursue. 
And lastly, God sees your potential. God sees what you're becoming. If you've ever like worked with wood or paint, you know that when you're in the middle of a composition, the, the workspace tends to look a little bit like a mess, doesn't it? And I've been in those situations where someone walks in and they're like, wow, what a mess. But if I'm the one making that painting, I'm like, no, 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 I don't see a mess. I see a masterpiece. Maybe this morning you, you feel like your life is a mess, that you're in the midst of a mess. Know this, that God calls you his masterpiece, his poem, his song. Regardless of what you've done or where you've been, every single person in this room, every single person watching, wherever you're at, God says, masterpiece, workmanship, poem, song. And, and not just like out there in some hypothetical, but right here, right in this room, right now. What would it look like for us to begin to realize that in this space, it starts here. You're not just sharing rows with people. You're not just sharing a room with people. You're not just simply watching on a laptop or on a screen. You are a part of something so much bigger. What, what if we began to speak life into one each other's lives? I see in you, God, God is doing something great. As God reminds Samuel, you, you look at the externals, but I, I look at the heart. I think Thomas Merton put it brilliantly. He said this. He said, our job is to love others without stopping to inquire whether or not they're worthy. Our job is not to inquire, not to decide for ourselves whether or not someone is worth paying attention to. To decide for ourselves whether or not that person is worth loving, even if that person is us. Our job is love. Our job is love. That's the call in our lives. Not because we're great, but because a great God lives in and through us because we bear the image of a loving creator God. He's set us apart. We're blessed to be a blessing. What would it look like for us, church, family, to ask God every day, God, give me your eyes. Reveal to me the ways that I'm judging, that I'm categorizing, that aren't of you. Help me to see people the way that you see them. And friends, I believe when that starts here, when we live that out by the power of the Holy Spirit, it will change our world. Would you pray with me, please? God, thank you that you are far beyond categories or definitions. And while that is true, that you still know us personally, that you cut through all of the facade, all of the things that we try to dress ourselves up with or for, God, you see us fully. Even things we've never articulated, things we've never told a soul to, God, you are there. Thank you, God, that we can rest in that. Help us to do the hard work of seeing the Imago Dei in every person we encounter, including ourselves. Remind us, God, that while the world looks at externals, you look at the heart. We thank you, God, and we love you. And we pray all these things in the beautiful, holy, powerful name of Jesus. Amen? Amen.